Good morning. Nice to have everybody in church today. Ooh, it's a rough looking bunch right here. You guys better behave. I'll sick pastor. I'll sick Ron on you. Or Margie, she's Or Mary. I'm I'm gonna stop there. <laughs> Uh, welcome to the Hope. Uh, yesterday we celebrated Bob Cooley's life. Uh, if you didn't know that, he went on to be with Jesus last week, and uh, he'll be deeply missed. He was one of ours, and uh, that's just tough when somebody graduates. You know what I mean? You won't see him anymore, and. Uh, I guess that he would probably be sitting right between Drew and Rosemary, right back there, yep. And he's going to be missed. So be praying for the family, for Peggy, and uh, I know the Lord's going to look out after her. So today's message is, is kind of a jump off of last week, and I, as I was praying about this, I really didn't know what to do this week. And um, I try not to watch the news any more than I have to. But I watch it just so that I can be in touch with the pulse, if you will, of America. Because, you know what, we're all in this together. And this past week is, has been more of the same. Um, and you know what, it, it just it wears on you. It wears you thin when you watch it too much. So like I said, I try not to watch any more than I need to. Uh, but today's message, I'm calling it, Blessed Are the Peacemakers. Now, first half or quarter is going to be focusing on this, and then I, I kind of get into a little bit more about what Jesus did when he was walking on this earth. You know, he's our true model. He is what I always call the Master, capital M, because he showed us how to live our lives. If you pattern your life after His, you're going to be all right. Amen? There's nobody better to try to imitate than Jesus Christ or somebody that's following after Jesus Christ. So how many here would agree today that the church, capital C, that we need to be more vocal about bigotry, about prejudice, about the, the racial unrest that we see all across our nation? As Christians, we should be, hear this part, we should be guided by love, though, not hatred. Too much of what I see out there is, is based on love, it's based on hate. It causes division within us. We need to let our light shine, the, the, the light of Jesus from within us, God's glory. I've talked about that quite a bit lately. The Imago Day, remember that? And our church may not be smack in the middle of some big city, some big urban dwelling, but nonetheless, we're still just as much a part of what's going on there. And eventually, it's going to influence, influence us 
more than it is right now if things don't turn peaceful. Our mandate, and it comes from none other than Jesus and one of the apostles, James, Matthew 5, 9. Can you say this with me? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. This is so important. I think, you know, we all want to get our way. We don't like it when things don't go our way. We've been trained as Americans to think it's all about me. But I want to tell you something. That's not Christ. That's not godly living. Christ gave his life for us. He became a servant to us. And we need to do the same. James, a similar passage in James 3.18, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and, I love the last part, reap a what? Harvest of righteousness. I want to be a farmer who's, who's harvesting righteousness. And to do that, James said, you need to plant peace. You know what? It, it needs to begin here in this church. How many came in today? Don't raise your hand. And you argued with your family. Or maybe this week you had a struggle with somebody at work. Did you try to make that situation better by being the peacemaker? Or did you try to make it worse and get your way? You know what I'm saying? Do you see the, the, the difference? We all have that choice. May we follow Jesus and James' advice and strive to bring peace and not war. Our cities are burning. We need peace, not war. And the next time you find yourself defending your position, ask, ask yourself, am I being a peacemaker? Or am I being a troublemaker? Am I planting seeds of peace in order to reap a harvest of righteousness? Or am I planting seeds of dissent? Trying to stir up the pot. This past week, Reverend Steve Miller, and he spoke here last year, if you remember him, one of my friends, I think he would call me his friend. And he, he said this, or the post said this. I'm, I'm going to put it up. Oops. Put it up behind me. Be careful to observe the shrewd use of the word but. I, I use but all the time. The B-U-T but. It is often followed by several statements that come pouring out like a breach of a poorly kept dam. And this is especially realistic when you think about what just happened in Midland. There's a physical example of what he was talking about here. Often that outpouring of thoughts totally destroys the thought that was said prior to it. 
Pay attention, he said. Pay attention to the but. Great advice, Pastor Steve. Thank you for that. It made me think, and as I meditated on this, I thought, you know what? I, I know of times when I've begun to try to encourage somebody, but, but, for example, and I'm not saying this was me necessarily, I'm not prejudiced, but I think you're a really nice person, but you get where I'm going with this, right? I think we all need to be more like Jesus, and we need to take one for the team once in a while. Meaning that we don't always get our, we don't always have to get our way. Or be right. Instead, listen to your heart. Listen to, if you're born again and filled with God's Spirit, listen to what the Holy Spirit's telling you. He won't lead you astray. That's what a peacemaker does. By doing so, you will hear the hurt in the other person. And this is what I'm trying to get at. Because when Jesus sat down with people, when He ministered to people, He heard their heartbeat. He understood what was going on inside that person. Their emotions, their, their ties to the world. Whatever it was, He understood what they were going through. And, and sometimes we need to do the same in order to be able to minister to someone. Hear their story. It's something few of us do anymore. Because we're in such a big rush. Hey, how you doing? You don't want them to answer. Right? Because you're in too big... If somebody goes, well, not very good, you're like, oh, great. Why did I say that? Be like Jesus. He was willing to slow down and hear the heart of, of the people. And I believe that's why one of the reasons why he was so effective. By doing so, maybe you'll hear the hurt in the other person. And then the Holy Spirit can guide you to be a part of the healing process for that person. And on that note, I mentioned this last week, and I hope it's okay that I show this. On Monday, I heard back from Michael Jr.'s agent, and they told me, absolutely, go ahead and show his video. And I was like, oh, my goodness, I got this yesterday. When I watched Michael Jr.'s video, which it's almost 10 minutes, in it he shares how he was afraid for his life as he was confronted by law enforcement. And I've never gone through anything like what Michael Jr. went through, so I, I'm not going to try to pretend that I know what he was feeling, what he felt. So since I got permission to show this, are you guys ready to, to play it? All right, so here we go. I, I don't know why. Here we go. Yo, so I'd like to tell you a story. Um, story about story me. about me. I'm 19 years old, right? I live in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I am preparing to buy an oil change business with some other guys. 
I worked as an oil change technician since I was 14 years old. And now I want to buy a business. I want to own my own business. So I'm working like 16 hours a day, working hard, trying to get up enough money to buy this business. Now I lived in this apartment complex. It wasn't the most sketchy complex, but it wasn't the best complex either. I didn't have any, I had, I was saving every dollar I had. So my apartment complex was, uh, it wasn't that complex. Let me just say that. Um, but across the hall from me was some people who, they didn't look like me, but it was pretty clear to me that they were selling some drugs. In fact, there was a, there had been a gas company truck parked outside of, in our apartment, uh, parking area for, a, for a few weeks, but we didn't have gas at all in the apartment. It was, everything was electric. So I thought that was a little suspicious. And knowing that they were selling drugs or whatever, but I didn't care. I didn't have anything to do with that stuff. I just want to do, I just want to be a business owner at this point. And um, I remember uh, going to work. I'd worked 16 hours. I'm on my way home. I'm exhausted. I'm tired. And as I come around the corner, I noticed that the dome light inside of that truck was on. And when I bent the corner, it turned off real fast. But listen, I know what this means because I've been in this kind of scenario before. This means that place has probably been raided. And then I also see a bunch of uh, people or legs jumping behind trees and in cars and suddenly it's quiet. So I know what this is. I know exactly what is going on. It's, it's probably been a bust of some sort. So I park like I normally would because I know I can't just drive off because they're going to fall. I don't know what's going to happen. So I stopped the car. I put it in park. I rolled the window down and I put both hands out the window. It's completely dark outside right now. You don't see anybody, like nobody's around, like nobody. I stick both my hands out of the window and I say, listen, officers, I want you guys to know I don't have anything to do but while you're here. I just got off work and I'm exhausted. I'm tired and I'm just going to my apartment. Please understand that. I stick both my hands out the window and I, I got both hands out the window and I, and I slowly open the door. I hear nothing. Nobody responds. It is completely quiet. It is actually too quiet. So I go ahead and I get out of the vehicle and um, I get out real, real slow with both my hands still in the air. And as soon as the door closes, 15, maybe 17 police officers come rushing at me. Now I'm afraid and they're yelling, put your hands up, put your hands up. My hands are already up and they're, and they're being extremely aggressive. And here's the thing though, I understand this because they just did a drug bust. Somebody else is, is driving up. They got to check me out and see who I am. I fully get that. Like, that's probably protocol. And then they asked me for my ID, and I didn't have my ID on me. Um, I left it in the counter. Uh, I'm sorry, over the stove in my apartment. And I explained to him, hey, man, I, I just don't have it. I was in a rush to get out today. It's it. But I... I don't have anything to do with these drugs. I have nothing to do with those guys. And now aggressively, and there's one police officer in particular who, let's just say, wasn't, um, he just he he just seemed to not like me extra for whatever reason. And so they're walking me up to my apartment. Like every single step I take, they're taking steps right along with me. And I said, listen, as soon as I use this key to open the apartment, that'll prove to you that I live here and I don't have anything to do with them, and we'll just go inside. Now, now keep in mind, I ain't had no money. I got a, a air conditioner and a mattress on the floor in my apartment. That's all I got. It it kind of looked like a crack house. I'm gonna throw that out there. Like it it 
it wasn't the best looking scenario. But regardless, when I open my key, that means I have nothing to do with them. I twist the key in my heart and I just take a sigh like, oh, this thing is over. I walk in, the officers bust their way into. They're demanding to see my identification. And I tell them my ID is over the stove, but I'm not moving. Cause I know if I make any sudden movements, I just, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty afraid at this point. So I walk over to the, uh, to the stove area, super, super slow. And I explained to him, I'm talking him through what it is I'm going to do. And instinctively, I noticed from growing up that this is what needs to happen. I say, so I'm about to lift up my right hand. I'm going, I'm reaching into the cabinet. I'm pulling the cabinet door open. Literally, I was walking him through step by step by step. And I reach into the cabinet and I say, now nah, I, I feel the wallet. I'm about to pull the wallet out. As soon as I say that, that cop, the one I told you about, he takes his gun, puts it to the back of my head right here, and cocks the hammer back. And I'm so afraid and angry and hurt because he could end my life right now and they can come up with some sort of story and nobody ever knows who Michael Jr. is just like that so um so i reach uh i i hold my wallet out like this and they uh they check my id that officer takes his gun off my head and he uh he leaves the other officers stick around and um really just trying to make sure I'm not going to complain or call anybody, but who was I going to call? Like, really, who was I going to call? And then they leave. And then I remember sitting on the floor, hurt and serious pain and just angry for probably 30 minutes. Then there's a knock on the door and a door bus open and, and it's the lady from across the hall whose boyfriend or husband has just been taken away for selling drugs. And she's unconsolable. She's crying and screaming. They took everything. They took everything. And she's she's speaking like broken English. I don't understand. exactly. She's got these two little kids with her and she is in pain, hurt, afraid. She doesn't know what to do. And I'm listening to her and I'm, I'm thinking, well, you probably should pick a better boyfriend. That's what I'm thinking. But like, she's the reason this just happened to me. But instead, I just listened to her. And even though I couldn't understand everything she was saying, because our pain matched, the communication was made way more clear than it should have been. So I reached into my wallet and I had like $14 and change and I gave her all of the money I had. And she was so grateful. She gathered her kids and they gave me like a hug and then they just, they left and she was still kind of crying. But I always thought that her coming to ask for that money was me giving to her, but she actually gave me a gift that's way greater. In that moment when I was so hurt, when I was in so much pain, I was able to see somebody else's pain. And then I found an opportunity where she gave me an opportunity to give to her. I can't tell you what that did for me. Immediately, the pain and the hurt started 
to subside. Immediately, the pain started to go away, even though I couldn't articulate it in the moment. I should say the anger started to go away. I was still hurt. I was super hurt. But I know like I know that lady gave me a gift that I needed right at that moment. And because of that, I've been able to forgive that officer. Like I never had a conversation with him, but I don't hold any anger towards him at all or any officers. Listen, I love people. Like I love people. And if you have on a uniform, that doesn't mean you're not a person. I love people. But I also know that if we really want to be healed, like if, if there's a lot of us hurting right now, but I'm telling you the thing to do is to look for the person next to you who's hurting as well and ask the question, what can I give? If you simply can ask, what can I give? There's healing in that because the people around you need you right now. They need you to be willing to give, whether it be financially, whether it be understanding, whether it just be a hug, whether it be just to listen. And when you give in such a way, it's going to bring healing to you. The anger, the pain, the hurt will start to subside. That's where the healing takes place. I'm telling you, like I'm telling you, we need to ask the question, what can I do for someone else? I appreciate you. I love you. Michael Jr. I apologize when I when I played that in my office, it didn't cut the top of his head off as much. So could you feel his pain when he slowed down and he was talking about the gun being at the back of his head? If you've never experienced that, and, and I haven't, but I, I know my youngest brother has, and it it just freaked him right out. In fact, with him, the guy stuck the gun in his mouth. It was even more horrendous than at the back of his head. And, and we don't need to go there, but my point is, he was hurt. He was angry, confused. He, he wasn't sure what was next, whether he'd be there or not. I think that's a legitimate process to go through with while someone is like this at you. But then he said, when that lady came through his door, it was the best thing that happened to him because it got his mind off of his situation and it gave him something to do, something Christ-like to do. And he helped her. He reached out to her. Now, I actually had in my notes... I was going to talk about the Good Samaritan this week, but I'm going to park that one until next week. This week I still want to look at the, good, the, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, uh, and talk about how Jesus ministered to her. But I just want you to understand, and, and most of you know this, but uh, I'm a, a Michigan State Police chaplain, and, and I wear a uniform at times. And... Uh, I'm not anti-police, but I'm trying to have this conversation because there are a lot of people in this country who are hurting, and they need the right side to speak up. They need to be shown the right way to address this thing. And we do that as peacemakers. We do that by sharing the love of Christ, His kindness,
looking for people who we can minister to with the love of Christ, and hopefully, eventually, they will see that maybe we're in this with them. That's my hope. That's my goal. And, and you know what? It's not just black and white. If you live down around Detroit, it's going to be Arab and white, Arab and black, whatever. Up here, I don't even know what the different groups are. But it doesn't matter. I said this two weeks ago. We're all human beings. That's the important part. And, and as such, if someone else is hurting, we should hurt as well and try to find ways to get these people healthy again. That's our job. That's our duty as Imago Dei, as image bearers. I believe that Jesus can help us with this, that he has the answers. And who better to study than the master himself when it comes to this kind of thing? I wanted to point out that Jesus was born of a Jewish mother. I assume most of you know that, but her name was Mary. Just to say, you know, the Jewish people don't have the best relationship with people today. It's almost going back to how it was during World War II. The hatred, the anti-Semitism is, is horrendous. Jesus was a Jew. They had a lot of enemies. They had a lot of people that they didn't like. And I only bring this out so that you'll see the tension that's happening here in this story. And we're going to look at John chapter 4 here in just a minute. If, if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn there. If you're online, uh, just grab your Bible and turn to John chapter 4. We'll begin in verse 1 here in just a minute. But let me just say that the Jews and the Samaritans were really from similar blood, but around 700 B.C., right around the, the time of the exile, the Assyrians came in and they took a whole bunch of the Jewish people. Not all of them, but many of them. But they also left a remnant of Jewish people there. And the people that stayed ended up intermixing with the Gentiles that moved there. Well, guess what happened? They intermarried. Big no-no. <laughs> Jewish people... They like it when you're a purebred. And because these Samaritan people, because they married non-Jewish people, then at that point they were like... So when Nehemiah came back and they rebuilt the temple, the Samaritan people wanted to be a part of that, but they said, oh no, you can't. Because you're defiled. Meaning that they married non-Jewish people. And the Jews had a real issue with them. And that's setting this up. In fact, it was so bad, by the time Jesus shows up, the Jews, and it actually says this, i got to look here, it actually says this in uh, 
Sorry, I lost my place. Thought I had it in here. So, somewhere in the scriptures, <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's John 8 or 7. But it actually says that they thought Jesus, they, they accused him of being a Samaritan, and they thought he was demon-possessed, like the Samaritans. So they thought, the Jewish people thought, Samaritans had an evil spirit in them. It doesn't get much worse than that. What would you say, Brother Roger, if I started accusing you of having a demon in you? You probably wouldn't appreciate that too much, would you? And that's really what was going on here. So I just I wanted to give you that picture. So here's Jesus. He was heading back to Galilee, his hometown. He was heading back, and as he was on his way, he became tired. And in verse 1 it says, now he had to, now he had to go through Samaria. And I wanted to just point out, the Holman Bible Dictionary says that the Jewish people went an extra distance through the barren land of Perea, which was right next to Samaria, on the eastern side of the Jordan, so that they could avoid going through Samaria. And here's the thing, this added like 20, 30, 40 miles to their journey. Most people walk, that's a lot of walking just so that you could avoid going through this, this people's country, this people's city. That's crazy. But not Jesus. <laughs> he went right up the middle. You see, he was a culture changer. I love this guy. Verse 5. I do have this up, hopefully, for you. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sukkar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. Now there's really nothing in the Scripture that talks about Jacob's well being here. But they say it's as good a spot as any, all right, near Sukkar. What I want you to note, though, is the time. Why does that matter? The area where Jesus was at in Samaria, it's similar to Jacksonville, Florida. How many have been there? Weather-wise, all right? What that means is at noon, it is hot. So most of the people, they're going to try to go get their water either early in the day or later. So what's going on here? Why is this lone woman going to the well at noon when everybody else was smart enough to avoid it because of the heat? I have a hunch. Maybe you picked it up. I believe, and, and as we get into the story, you're going to see she's got a little bit of a, a taint to her. All right? You know, sometimes we, we know things about people that kind of make us think, huh, do I really want to be around that person? You know what I'm saying? 
This lady had some history. And I believe that her town knew this. All right? They knew everything about her. It's a small town. You're going to know everything about everybody. And they're going to be talking about her. And you know what? She probably got tired of going to that stupid well and hearing the... You know what I'm saying? Anybody been in that hot seat before? It's not a fun place to be, is it? Good example of how we should not be. Just a hunch. Verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? And by the way, these, these uh, brackets aren't mine. They're uh, actually in this version. His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew. I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For the Jews do not associate with the Samaritans. Notice what it says. The Jews don't associate with the Samaritans. She was like a, a lower class citizen. In her, in her mind, in her eyes. Here's the other thing. Men didn't associate with the women. This was highly uncommon. But Jesus did this often. By the way, ladies, Jesus was not sexist. He loved the ladies just as much as he loved the men. And he respected them. And he often, and we believe many of those disciples that were in the upper room in Acts 2, they were women. Jesus taught them just like he taught the men, which was highly uncommon back then. Jesus did not see this woman as a lower class citizen. He saw her as a human being. If you'll excuse me just for a minute. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Let that sink in just for a minute. You have to understand that when Jesus came to Jerusalem, when he began his ministry, public ministry, he said, I have come first for the Jews. That was his primary mission. So here he is with this Samaritan woman, and he actually says, if you had asked, I would have given you. In other words, he was opening the door for her salvation. Which shows us that he was no respecter of people. He wasn't anti-woman. He wasn't anti-Samaritan. He was pro-human being. Can you see why this should be important to us? If this is how Jesus responded to other people, how should we respond? Any differently? This is huge. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? 
Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? She's not connecting the dots yet. She doesn't realize who she's sitting with. In John 7, 38 and 39, I took the liberty to put it up behind me. Jesus talks about this again, and he says, Whoever believes in me, as Scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the Spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified yet. So I just wanted you to to capture that little tidbit. Jesus was telling this lady, if you asked, I would give you the Holy Spirit. How cool is that? And and she still didn't get it, all right? I love love this. Uh, The next part of this. Jesus answered the woman, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw the water. I mean, her thought is, Yay, I won't have to come out in the heat of the day. I won't have to come early in the morning or late in the afternoon and listen to the gossips of, gossip about me anymore. Give me that water. Of course, that's not what Jesus was really telling her, right? Jesus, led by the Holy Spirit, he begins to reveal why he's really there. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. And and I don't mean the tone in my voice because I'm just guessing that he was a little playful when he spoke this, and sometimes tone can mean a lot. So just forgive me. I don't know exactly how he put this. The fact is, Jesus said, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. He called her on it. Can you imagine that? If, if I were up here and, and all of a sudden I called out your name and said, hey, <laughs> we won't go there. I don't even want to point at anybody like, <clears throat> Pastor Dave Williams, my former pastor years ago, there were people that, and he did often, he would call things out while he was preaching And people were afraid to sit in the front because they were afraid he'd get a word from God about some sin in their life. And (laughs) that's not a good place to be if you're like that. So here we find the master ministering to this lady. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors, that wasn't in the Bible. That was my duh. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And I won't go into all that right now. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. 
We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. And I highlighted this in red. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman obviously gets some kind of an epiphany here because she says, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Now, if you don't already know this, God, in the Jehovah God from the Old Testament, Yahweh, what was he known by? I am. He was the great I am. When Moses wanted a name, who should I tell the Pharaoh sent me? He wanted somebody who he could say, hey, the big guy. All right? And God said, just tell him I am sent you. And in the uh, NLT, it actually says in caps, I am the Messiah. That's how it should be translated. He was telling her, I'm God. God is sitting with you right here, right now, at this well. If only you knew who was in front of you today. question that I asked myself and I'm asking you is, how often does our focus stay on the physical when God's trying to birth something miraculous right in front of us and we miss it because we're too focused on what we're getting to drink? He's trying to show this lady, look, I've got so much more for you, so much better for you, if only you would listen. I have a feeling that she sort of kind of did listen. All right? Before we move on, though, I wanted to emphasize again how Jesus ignored the cultural bias Instead, he ministered to the woman's heart. He didn't care one iota that she was a Samaritan, that she was a woman, nor that she had been married five times and was living with a sixth man. Jesus' mission was to seek and to save that which was lost. And this woman was truly lost. And what happens next is just an example of what happens to anybody who meets Jesus Christ. I love this part. Verse 27. Just then his disciples returned, and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, who do you want, or why are you talking with her? And what that says to me is, this is probably normal. Jesus did this more often than it was described in the Bible. Verse 28, Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I did. Could this be the Messiah? 
And they came out of the town and made their way toward him. So do you think that, that God, Jesus, do you think that this was just a coincidence that he showed up on this day at noon when this Samaritan woman was drawing her water? Do you think that that was just a coincidence? Or do you think maybe God made sure he was there? Jesus was there to minister to her hurt, to her need. He wanted her to know, I'm not here to gossip about you. I'm going to tell you the truth. And he did. <laughs> Five divorces. Now a sixth one. But what you notice, he didn't blast her. Whoa! You, you, you dirty sinner, you! Uh-uh, No. You know, God knows that we're dirty sinners. <laughs> he already knows that. You, you're not going to cover it up. But he also knows, hey, I've got the remedy. I've got the remedy for you. Put your trust in me. I'll make sure you've got living waters flowing out of you. I'll make you different. That's the kind of Jesus that we serve. Hallelujah. Verses 31 to 38, I'm going to skip over. They were an interchange between Christ and how he didn't need food that was physical because he had spiritual food. And then he, he talked briefly about uh, how many souls were going to come into the harvest. All right, and, and I believe we're going to see that in this next passage. This is what I wanted you to see. I wanted to focus on the result of Jesus' willingness to cross the cultural, societal barriers and speak to this Samaritan woman. Here it is, verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came, they urged him to stay with them and he stayed two days. Here's this Jewish man who most Jewish people avoided. I said this, they went all the way around just to avoid walking through Samaria. Jesus, he decided, and, and listen, they stayed at somebody's house. He stayed at a Samaritan's house for two days. He didn't care what anybody thought. And his disciples would have gone along with him. They wouldn't have said, ah, you're on your own. No, they would, have, they would have gone along. They would have been witnesses to this interaction, this interchange, this cultural tearing down of the walls. And he wanted them to see this for a reason. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. They know for themselves. Our job 
isn't to get people saved. Our job is to introduce people to Jesus. Then it's up to Him. It's up to the Holy Spirit what happens next. But if we're willing to set aside some of our prejudice, our bias, and and start these conversations, who knows what God could do with us? And don't think just because if you, if you live here in Gaylord, I know some of you on live stream live down in the, the southern areas, uh, the urban areas. You're right in the mix. You're right in the heat of things. But for us here in, in Gaylord, we don't deal with this a whole lot. We're not big enough yet. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't have this conversation with our kids and our grandkids, and lead them the right way, men. Moms, lead your kids the right way. Get rid of this nonsense. It's not about skin color. It's not about the level that, that, that you are in society. Well, you know my name. We are... Who cares? The only thing that matters is you are in the image of God. And that makes you worth something. You're valuable to God. And if He thinks you're valuable, we better. This is powerful stuff. I said this once, I'm going to just say it again. Jesus spoke to a woman a Samaritan woman, a woman who most would have judged for her sinful lifestyle. In other words, they would have labeled her very, very sinful. They probably would have avoided her. Shame on anyone that does that. Have you forgotten what God's done for you? Are you any better? All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. There are no exceptions. If you think you're all that, then I will lie. You don't know what I've done. I don't care what you've done. You wouldn't be where you're at were it not for the blood of Jesus Christ having been shed on that cross at Calvary. And that's all of us. The only worth in us is the Christ in us. And that's how God sees us. We become of value to Him. Listen, we're already His kids. He loves us, but He hates the sin. And then when we say yes to Jesus, the blood washes us clean. The psalmist said, your sins to God are as far as the east is from the west. (laughs) Try to connect the east to the west. You get the point, right? Only because of Jesus. And because of that, God loves us. And when we put on the garment of praise, the righteousness of Christ, when we put that on through our confession of sin, our repentance, God looks at us as one of His own kids. We have been grafted in And we are royalty. I don't know if this is ministering to anybody else but me, but you know what? I'm getting something out of this.
Because I have to remind myself sometimes. I don't like me sometimes. But when I think about who I am in Christ, that I'm from the royal bloodline of Jesus Christ, that my name's been written in the Lamb's book of life, and my future's been secured thanks to Jesus. There's some value here. In God's hands, all right? When I put myself in God, God's hands, there's nothing he can't do. Look what he did. Look what God did with his son Jesus. He ministered to the Samaritan woman, and then he sent him to the cross. Some of us might have to go through some things that aren't all that pleasant. I'm not looking at anybody in particular. I'm just looking around the room just to say, you know what? Jesus died for us. Some of his followers have been called to a higher, a higher place, meaning that you could be martyred as a witness for him. We don't like talking about that, though. No, 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 no. I just want to talk about going to the restaurant when we're done here. Don't be talking to me about death. You know how many brothers and sisters have lost their lives just this week because of their faith in the Lord? A lot. Maybe not here yet, but it happens every day. If we're courageous enough to do some of this that I'm talking about here today, you could put yourself in a place where something could happen. Are you willing? Jesus was. And then what did he say? Come follow me. Oh, yeah, yeah. Pick up your cross, follow me. Oh, boy, yeah. Those aren't things we like. But it's a fact. Jesus, he shared the love of God with this woman, and as a result, the whole community, or many in her community, came to believe. Peace, shalom, love. The result of his crossing that racial gap was that the people of that town were going to see them in heaven when that day comes. Many believed as a result of his, his willingness to cross that racial boundary. Color, culture, status is of no mind when it comes to Jesus Christ. He ministers to all people and we, his ambassadors, should do the same. If you're able, would you stand with me? You know, it takes all kinds to make our world go round. And Jesus did the work. He took our place on the cross. And he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. And so when he said, it is finished, 
It's good news for us. It's a horrible ending for him. But aren't you glad that he did that for us? And aren't you glad that after they removed his body from that cross and they laid his broken, bloodless body in that tomb, you see, it was a sabbath. And they don't do anything work or anything like that. So they had to put his body somewhere until they could get back to it. And when they came back to get it, this big old stone that was in front of it to begin with was no longer there. It it had been rolled out of the way. And, And from what I understand, it took three or four people to move these these big round I don't know how big it was but it was big enough that it took three or four people men to move sorry ladies that that was probably there there are probably some ladies in here that could have done it I just I just leave it at that they looked in there and this this dude in uh, bright white clothes said, Ah, he ain't here. He's alive. Go tell the people. Huh. First he crosses boundaries that most men, women wouldn't cross. Then he takes our place on the cross for your sins and mine so that we could live with him forever. I would say he's a pretty decent guy, that Jesus. I would say that it'd be all right to put your trust in somebody like that because he wouldn't let you down. He's got you. And I don't care what your background is in here. I don't care if if you've got a, a background of murder Maybe you've had an abortion or three. I don't care if you're a liar, a drunk, been divorced five times. And here's the best part, God doesn't either. But He does have a better way for you. He does call us to live differently. And when you put your trust in Him, He he does something in you. You become born again. And if you would like that, if you would like to know what it's like to just to yield to Him and to say, Lord, have your way with me. I want that. Like that Samaritan lady, I want to be set free. I want Jesus to talk to me today. If that's you, with every head bowed, eyes closed in this room, and those online, just lift your hand up. Yep. Anybody else? Yep, yep, yep. Anybody else? You can put them down. Yep. Would you pray this with me? Heavenly Father, I know I'm not perfect. Far from it. I've probably broken most of the rules. But today, 
I want to come to you, the man, Jesus, who was willing to talk to somebody unlike him, a sinner. That's just who I need right now. So Jesus, just like I'm sitting at the well with you, I ask you, forgive me of my sins and make me a new person. From this day forward, I give you my life and my love and I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit who will guide me all the days I have left. I pray this, Lord, as a sinner, soon to be righteous. I pray this in Jesus' name. I mean business. Amen. Amen. Give the Lord a hand. He, he deserves it. Whether 2,000 years ago or today, the result is the same. Your name has been written in the Lamb's Book of Life if you prayed that prayer and you meant it. God loves you, and now the real task is at hand. Do something with your life to bring glory to God. Talk to some people. I mentioned this last week, but have a conversation with somebody you don't know or you don't understand and just say, what's it like to be you? And, and don't be asking me to go out this week. because You get what I'm saying? Find somebody who you really need to minister to. Or let the Holy Spirit lead you, just as He did Jesus. Jesus wasn't there by coincidence. How many need to hear? All right, not the most polished message I've ever done, but I believe it's very important. I just want to thank Michael Jr. again for being willing to share his testimony. And I love how it ended, because in the end he said, you know what? I, I hold nothing against that police officer. Listen, they're human beings too. We need to show those guys and gals that they're necessary. Till we're all in heaven, they're necessary. They're keeping us safe. Let them know you love them. You may not agree with everything they do, but let them know they're important. Tell them that. Buy them lunch. If I'm in my uniform, buy me lunch. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I love all of you. Lord, just get us home safe today. Lead us to those who need us most. Let our light shine to your glory. Amen. Have a great week. Love you all.